Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will continue our discussion of the impact and response of the COVID-19 pandemic with AAF President Douglas Holtzagen. Doug, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. How, how, how are you holding up this week? Uh, doing great this week. You know, yeah. uh, what could be better? <laughs> well, it looks like we had some uh, mixed news around COVID-19 this week. Um, you know, on the negative side, cases continue to surge in many states. Um, but on the positive side, our home base, Washington, D.C., uh, will be moving forward towards a uh, stage two, phase two reopening. Um, and retail sales seem to be on the rise. Um, so there is some good news for the economy. Uh, what are your thoughts on the past week? Well, I think on the the cases that what I'd really like to see is hospitalization data, not cases, because it's hard to interpret the case data as testing or infection or both. And Mm -hmm. so look at the hospitalizations and um, uh, give information about uh, ICU beds and the degree to which the the hospital system is being stressed. Um, You know, as near as I can tell from reading the research literature, you get the vast majority of the health benefits from social distancing and wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, you get some more with lockdowns, but they come at an enormous cost. So, you know, I think you only do that if you have a, a, an emergency in the in the health system in the hospitals being overrun, and then you don't have a choice. Like to stay short of that and continue to allow the economy to open where it can uh, at, at the pace that is manageable. And I think you know. It's, it's good to see that the retail sales data um, uh, be positive. Um, we expected it at some point, you know, we should shut down and reopen. It has to get better. And, and it's going to take a couple of months to get a good feel for um, just how well we're doing on this. I mean, that, that, that retail sales report was astonishing to, to read. I mean, it had numbers I've never seen before in a, in a, <laughs> a government data release. So, um, uh, sales at clothing and clothing accessory stores were up 188% from April to May, but wow. they were 63% below May of last year. So <laughs> uh, April was a disaster. <laughs> and, wow, that's um, you know, a perspective. Yeah, it, 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 they're all crazy numbers. The, the other thing to keep in mind is households, in the aggregate at least, are in pretty good shape. I mean, we knew from the April data that there were about $3 trillion worth of government transfers at an annual rate into the household sector. That's the UI and the checks and, and all that. Uh, Federal Reserve data indicate that uh, households have $2 trillion more in their checking accounts and their savings accounts than they did in February. So the, that the household sector is poised to be able to spend. Now we have to see if it will continue to do so. Gotcha. Um, so breaking this down a little bit more. From an economic perspective, uh, what should we watch for as D.C. and other states begin to reopen? Well, I think you you look at the the, the sort of core meat and potatoes uh, numbers that we care a lot about. Number one, jobs. Are people going back to uh, work? Are they being recalled? Um, you know, how, how is that progressing? Um, second, uh, you know, in 2000. 1920, the, the core of economic growth was the household sector. It was it was chugging along pretty solidly. Unemployment was low. Balance sheets were in good shape. How fast do we get back to that kind of a picture? Unemployment's not going to come down that fast, but the rest, hopefully, we'll get some income growth. We'll get some, some employment. 
and the households will spend. I think those are the things to focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be wonderful if the business sector jumped right up and started having a big investment boom, but I don't anticipate that. I think it's unlikely. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the retail sales um, report for a second, um, does the increase in uh, the retail sales numbers say that consumer confidence is bouncing back in the economy? Consumer confidence uh, has risen. It hasn't bounced back to the levels we saw in, in January, February, that's for sure. So March was a record uh, decline in consumer confidence. We've got a couple of points back uh, since then, but not not much. So there's more to be done on that front. Yeah, I assume it'll take a quite a while before consumer confidence gets back to January, February, in your mind. Uh, it, it's going to take a couple of quarters or a vaccine. Take your pick. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> um, and then how much of the spike in the retail sales numbers is from online purchases? I mean, or is it from people actually going back into stores? Can we even tell where it's coming from? So the the clothing stores and accessories, those that's that's brick and mortar retail, and that's that huge jump up 188%. Got it. We're seeing some of that, but but it still remains low. In general, it's important to recognize that everything goes great in that in that retail sales report, and we're still six percent below May of last year. Uh, the Great Recession had as its peak to drop decline five percent. So we're still more than the Great Recession off <laughs> above <laughs> sales. So so or, you know, don't get too carried away with the recovery until we get a little better than that. And then the online sales just continue to remain strong. They have been strong out of necessity. They remained very strong um, in the latest report. And you know, there's a lot of reasons to suspect that, that there's some of these things people are just not going to go back to. They're going to stay with the online uh, purchases yeah. gotten used to. Yeah, I certainly have bought a couple of pairs of shoes over the internet and probably won't go back to actually going to the store to buy them. Right. Yes, it turns out you can do that remotely, and and why not? <laughs> All right, so uh, let's turn to the policy response um, for a moment. Um, many are warning that state and local governments will have to lay off huge numbers of workers unless the federal government sends a huge cash infusion. But in Monday's dish, you noted that um, there's much more to the situation than meets the eye. Will you talk us through some of those challenges? We hear this a lot that the state local sectors, you know, at the edge of collapse and that um, in the, the Great Recession, we, we failed to, to support them enough. And that was a big reason why the economy took so long to get back. And so what I did is I just went back and looked at the Great Recession, first of all, and said, you know, what's the deal here? And it turns out that states um, started losing uh, employment in August of 2008. Um, no, in September, and then localities in August. Um, so in 2008, started going down. The decline was about 4% in both cases, peak to trough, get down. Um, and then it took a long time to get back. It's really true. I was stunned. States still have not regained the same level of employment, and localities only got back in early 2019. So it took a long time. That was um, uh, a surprise to me. Um, so you, now we look at this in this episode, it's been a much sharper drop off. I mean, as with everything in this, uh, the declines are, are double roughly what they were back then. And um, so you say, well, we, we must not be doing enough for states and localities. It turns out we did more on a percentage basis in the CARES Act for states and localities than we did in the Recovery Act back in the, in the Great Recession. So um, it's not like this is purely we've less left the states and municipalities on their own and, and they're just laying people off because they're desperate. They may be getting there. I don't. I don't want to uh, 
say this too strongly, but I started thinking, well, we know that in the private sector, this $600 bonus for unemployment insurance um, is, is a big impediment to getting people back to work, keeping people at work. Maybe that's true in the states and localities. So uh, Isabel Soto, uh, who does labor at AAF, took a look at the data, and it turns out that outside of the District of Columbia, it's the, the District of Columbia is the only place where um, under 50% of people make more on the job than on UI. Everywhere else, 50% or greater. And there are a lot of numbers that are 70 and 80%. So it's not crazy to me that one of the reasons we saw a, a sharp uh, layoff is, you know, mayors took a look around and thought, okay, they'd be better off if they were on UI. It, it's clearly going to get dicey out there in terms of my budget. So let's just get them on UI as quickly as possible. And for as many non-essential workers as possible, we saw an early layoff. I don't know that for sure. But but it's more than just revenue. It's revenue plus these labor market incentives, and we got to get them lined up right. Okay. Um, and with all that in mind, um, I mean, what should policymakers do on the state and local front? I, I think uh, they have a, a a hard job. To be honest, I don't I don't know what the right number is that would be um, uh, needed in the state local sector. Um, I think the rule of thumb is in a crisis, err on being too generous. So you know, figure out what number that that might be. Um, and then you have to decide whether you're going to give it to them, just write a, a check, or are you going to do what we're doing with the large corporations, make them borrow it. The Fed has a municipal liquidity facility that would be eligible for, uh, that states look out, would be eligible to go uh, get their, their money. So, um, you know, to the extent possible, I think I'd prefer loans to just outright taxpayer grants, but um, you, you know the legislative process as well as I do. There, there's there, there's going to be some deal making, and we'll see how it comes out. Um, so what about the recent CBO projections? How, what role will that change um, in shaping this additional federal aid package? I, I think the, the CBO, both sides view as um, serious, credible, and um, you know, if, if, they're, if they were 10 times bigger than what they were talking about, that would wake everyone up. If they were half the size of what people were talking about, I think it would be a, a big wake-up call as well. I think they, they're basically in line with what people expected, and so you know, the, the, the debate goes forward. Gotcha. Um, another big point in the negotiations um, over the next package is, of course, what to do about that $600 federal unemployment insurance supplement. Um, what are the odds Congress does nothing and this bump just expires at the end of July? Zero. Okay. Yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, I, you know, and, and, and the, the it, there will be nothing done on July 28th, probably, but they will, they, Congress loves deadlines, and they will get the July 31st deadline, I, I promise you. <laughs> um, so with that 0% in mind, what do you think Congress should do on this front, and what do you think Congress will do on this front? Uh, I, I think it's uh, too large, um, and so it should be cut in half, say, to $300 uh, a week, um, and then phased up to now and the end of December. Right? Then mm -hmm. you avoid the cliff then, and it's, it's a little less um, uh, uh, generous. And then I would have it be available to people whether they worked or not. So it's neutral with respect to the, the, the decision to go back to work. Um, I, I don't want a big wall erected against getting back to work. That's what the current um, bonus is. Having it flat and smaller, I think, is fine. And, and that, But, you, you know, there are going to be some voices calling for something more aggressive, like you only get it if you go back to work. Mm -hmm. uh, keeping it... Uh, um, to both uh, those who are working and those who are not, I think is realistic given the labor market conditions. Not everyone's going to be able to find a job. And 
is it sort of just a, a little bit of insurance against uh, households not spending uh, through the fall and into the winter. So that seems like the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one final topic. Um, you wrote in a recent dish that uh, COVID-19 has had a disproportionately large impact on the health and economic well-being of minority populations. Um, but you also noted that there is some confusion about the exact cause of this. Um, what questions do you see on this issue? Yeah, so I, I've been having this recurring conversation with uh, Tara O'Neill Hayes, uh, who does uh, human welfare policy at, at AF. Now, it's, I, it, it would go roughly like this. Tara, I know that racial minorities are disproportionately impacted. Is that because they don't have health insurance? They're um, more likely to be in poverty and located in, in worse uh, geography? Is that, or is it because they are minorities per se? And she would say, there's no such thing that reveals that, Doug. I've told you this 197 times before. It's like, okay, sorry. I asked you. Um, well, there's now a study, uh, it, and it's just a single working paper. It's, it's not definitive. But what's really interesting about it is it's not the poverty. It's not the insurance status. It's not the geography. If you control for those, the m- minorities, especially African-Americans, still have disproportionately high uh, impacts from the, the COVID-19. Um, the, to the extent that there is a story in the data, it's public transportation. Um, it, it is uh, a, a place where you can get infections. And so disproportionately, uh, those who ride up um, public transit will, will be exposed. And the the kinds of people who ride public uh, transportation tend to work in frontline style jobs, which are also a source of bigger exposure. And that seems to be the, the source of this impact. So I, I, th- I think that's a good lesson for um, you know, so when you think about the reopening issues, like how do you how do you manage those things? Right. Clearly, I, I have said many times on, on this series of podcasts that we need to worry about restructuring physically the workplaces so that people can work safely and that that will be an expensive and important thing for Congress to, to worry about. Um, I, I'm, a, to be perfectly honest, a little bit at sea about what you do with public transportation. You could work real hard to make it safe. It would then also be really expensive. And people are typically on public transportation because it's, it's relatively cheap. So that that's a that's a hard problem. Yeah. Do any particular policy um, solutions come to mind to fix this, you know, disproportionate impact with public transportation um, based on the study? Uh, the study didn't get, shed any light on on effective policy responses. I mean, we have to leave that to our imagination. I, I think we, as I said before, I think we know in general you have to do social distancing. You have to um, uh, wear masks. So if you think about bus routes, it could be the the solution is, and it would be expensive, and this is where the government have to step in, we're going to run three times as many buses over the same routes. And we're going to put a third as many people on each bus, keep them separated as much as we can. And that's how we deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but this is going to be expensive one way or another. Right. Okay. Any final thoughts uh, before we uh, let you go? Uh, no. Um, I hope this is helpful. Um, uh, I think it's been a, a great experience for me. I, I often find out what I really believe when it comes out of my mouth. Like, you know, you, you, can, hold all, you can hold all things uh, as roughly equal until you actually have to say what you think. And yeah. so this is it's useful for me once a week to, to have to land somewhere on a decision. So thank you for that. Well, it, uh, <laughs> it certainly is one of the highlights of my week. And uh, I certainly enjoy talking about all these issues and certainly gives things perspective for me as well. Well, thanks for having me. So thanks for coming on. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.